Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We speak with a Hamilton woman who was caught in the Sunwing Airlines fiasco. Learn about the latest tweak in Ontario's real estate market. Hamilton Bulldogs president and GM Steve Steos is a hot commodity. The Ford government's being accused of campaigning instead of governing. Dagnabbit, it appears swearing at the workplace is on the rise. And we'll tell you why Canadians are being urged to plant something red. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. Well, a network-wide system issue impacted things greatly at Sunwing Airlines check-in and boarding areas on Sunday and Monday, and it spilled into Tuesday. Janet Brown is a Hamilton resident who's been caught in the thick of things here with Sunwing and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Janet, good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm okay. You've had a, a hectic uh, past couple of days. What's going on? Well, we have been here since, uh, let's see, yesterday around 4.30 in the morning to um, get our, you know, check-in and, um, you know, get we where we needed to go. And only to find out that the systems were down and, you know, the 6.30 flight got moved to... Um, Sorry, the 8 o'clock flight got moved to 10 o'clock, then it got moved to uh, 4.30, then it was 9.30, then it was back to 4.30. You know, in the meantime, they, I mean, family has been amazing. They have given us vouchers for meals, so, you know, we have been, um, you know, compensated that way. Um, I really feel bad for them here because, I mean, there's not so many people that, you know, not everybody's as nice. So, um, you know, the, yesterday the, the cops were um, here. And yesterday there was like four cruisers out front because there was people just losing <laughs> the place. And, you know, but like I said, I mean, they gave us hotel vouchers for the evening or they would send you, you know, uh, give you taxi scripts to, to go home if you wanted. Um, they, they have been really, really good. Um, I can't complain about Sunwing other than the fact that apparently they're not the only ones. I guess apparently um, other people have been affected. You know, other airlines have been affected as well, but... For the most part, everybody just wants to get on the plane. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been a, it's been an experience. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Should make mention you're, you're you live in Hamilton. You're at Pearson Airport catching a flight to Cuba. Was there at, at any point over the last I don't know twenty four hours or so when you thought? You know, should we just cancel? Should we just redo this whole thing? Has that thought crossed your mind? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I want out of here so bad. Like, I mean, there were some people, you know, that wanted to pack in the towel, but no, we were, we were in it. I mean, I just feel bad. There's part of the group that's only going for a week. So we're already into the second day of their vacation. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. What are other people saying? You mentioned people not really handling the situation all that well. Oh, they wanted their money back. Um, you know, just cancel my flight, give them my money back. You know, the girls at the desk here, they're not equipped to do that. So, um, you know, like they, they, they keep telling the people that you have to, um, you know, go to, you know, reservations, you have to contact them by phone, you know, there's a process for everything you have to go through. And if people just don't get that. I mean, you know, they, that's why I'm sure the police were here. There's tons of security because yesterday was like a, <laughs> you know, it was a little bit crazy. I can imagine Janet Brown is our guest, a Hamilton resident flying from Toronto to Cuba. Uh, caught in the middle of this Sunwing Airlines kerfuffle, we can call it that. Uh, you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, uh, do you have any worries when you come back that this might happen again? Um, actually, friends of ours, because of the same um, thing happening, 
they were um, stuck in Mexico for two days. So if I'm stuck in Cuba for an extra two days coming home, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> At least it won't be in the snowstorm that, you know, was happening last night when we were looking out the hotel windows. So That is true. There could, be, there could be worse places to be stuck. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you have a great attitude. I wish you all the best on your trip and safe travels home as well. Um, we are also getting new information from the president of Sunwing Airlines, who has apologized to passengers, and not only that, Mark Williams, saying that the network outage affecting its flights uh, since Sunday, basically, is the result of a cyber attack on a third-party provider. So that's really a a game-changer in terms of, you know, what went wrong. You know, I... At the out, on the outset, it was uh, described as you know, some kind of computer situation or a glitch. A Canadian air passenger rights advocate, Gabor Lukacs, says Sunwing should be helping every passenger who's felt the brunt of this network-wide system issue. And also saying that these passengers should also have a contingency plan in place. A large airline is a, is a significant business. You cannot afford operating any kind of business where you're providing services to the public without having several backups. Even if your main computer system is down, there has to be a way of checking in passengers, of having access to your databases, possibly sending the data by email to people working at the check-in counter. They can print it out and check in people manually, do something. There has to be some solution. It's not realistic. It's not reasonable to think that a system is just going to come to a grinding halt just because there is a single point of failure. There were numerous instances over the past 24, 48 hours of passengers being checked in by hand, the old-fashioned way, I guess, or the old, old-fashioned way. If uh, anyone's listening out there who has been affected by the Sunwing outage or this fiasco, you do have a number of um, things at your disposal. Meal vouchers and hotel, that, that's a no-brainer here. If they don't give you enough meal vouchers for covering your expenses, just incur costs and then make, send a bill to the airline later. It, they still owe you that. On top of that, you are owed lump sum compensation by the airline for the inconvenience this has caused. In the case of Sunwing, there is a little bit of murkiness because they switched from being a large carrier to a small carrier on the 12th of January this year. So if your ticket was bought before the 12th of January, you're entitled up to $1,000 in compensation. If you bought your ticket after the 12th of January, it will be only 500 if you're delayed over nine hours. And Canadian Air Rights passenger advocate Gabor Lukic says, uh, don't give up. If your passenger has been impacted by this, don't give up. You bought a seven-day vacation package. You got four days. That's, you know, uh, three-seventh of the package lost. You didn't get the value with you that you paid for. And yes, again, it may have to go to small claims court, but I would encourage passengers not to just accept the airline's behavior, but to hold the airlines accountable. Uh, You know your rights, and as long as you're willing to fight for it, eventually passengers are going to prevail just because there are more passengers than Sunwing lawyers and paralegals. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're talking real estate because Ontario is going to allow buyers to see all bids on real estate sales, but only if the seller agrees. Is this going to have any impact on rising prices in Hamilton and Ontario in Canada? Rob Golfie is a sales representative with REMAX's Cartman Realty, the Golfie team, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Rob, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning, Rick. Good. I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm scratching my head on this one because I get the thought of trying to, you know, curb the price escalation that we've seen in this city and really in this country over the past, well, a couple of years since the pandemic erupted. I don't see this process working, though, because... I understand that, you know, if, if home buyers are allowed to see each and every bid, sure, that would curb prices. The catch here is this is only going to happen if the seller agrees. I can't imagine many, if any, home sellers agreeing to this open bidding process. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't think uh, it, it, the sellers won't like it as much. They'll still want the blind bidding. I think the open bid is good for buyers to a certain degree. Um, I, I personally think that uh, there'll be fewer offers uh, if, th- if this is an open bid. So you'll get the one person that will go in and put an offer in. Now everybody sees it. So he may go in 50000 above the asking price. Everybody else is going to say, well, I'm not interested. So it's the only one offer. And um, what happens is the, uh, the average person that had a chance on the blind bid to get a house, they won't have that chance on an open bid like as a buyer, because everybody, the, the pe- people with more money are always going to outbid that one, that one offer that's $1,000, they'll go $1,000 above, and that average person is going to say they're already at their limit. And chances are they would have had an opportunity if it was a blind bid, they submit their offer, and they did have one in 13 chance or one in 15 chance of getting it, but now their chances are, are less in getting the property on an open bid uh, for the average person. I think it's going to hurt the average buyer. I think uh, the people that have money will win more often, and, uh, and 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 it is frustrating for a buyer right now to to get a house. But they did have a chance with the open bid. It, they're going to have less of a chance because they're not going to be able to. Uh, meet up to the to the person with more money. We've chatted about uh, blind bidding and open bidding on the Golfy Real Estate Show here on 900 CHML Saturdays at 9 a.m. for well the, the past several months, I think. Um, and you know the the conversation always comes down to. Uh, you know, supply, and that's really going to be the be-all and end-all in terms of, you know, allowing more people to get access to other homes. Uh, And we've seen places like Australia offer open bidding, and they have, you know, a new app that they're unleashing to say, hey, you can use this, and everything's out in the open, and you can bid, uh, you know, as as far as the eye can see. I'm not sure that's going to benefit home sellers at all. Well, uh, in places like... uh uh, Sweden uh, and uh, other places uh, with the with the open bidding, it hasn't changed the growth of uh, of prices. They're still experiencing, you know, uh, uh, heavy prices uh, uh, on homes. So it hasn't really changed. But I don't think I don't think you're going to see too many sellers um, uh, wanting to go with uh, with an open uh, open bid. But I do think having an open bid, if a realtor has he has the listing himself. I think mandatory, uh, he sh- and he has an offer on his own listing, it should be an open bid. That I think that should be mandatory regardless whether the, the seller or uh, the seller may not have that choice. But it just depends because there's a lot of always uh, unethical things that happen when uh, a, a realtor has their own uh, offer on their own listing and they're competing. And, and for some reason, it seems like the agent gets the, the listing agent seems to get the, uh, the winning bid all the time for that. So I think an open bid on, on that would be good, but 
I don't think it's going to change things. The only one little difference it will change is that from the, 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 the first best offer and the second best offer, the margin between the two offers will not be as, as, as big. It will not be. So let's say, you know, you got a million dollar listing and the one guy bids 1.2 million and then the next guy builds 1.4 million. There's 200, $200,000 difference. You won't see that $200,000 difference, but you still will see the, uh, the $1.4 million sale, but it's just the second guy's going to jump up to, close to that 1.4. Yeah. You know what I mean? You won't see the spread as much. It's going to be an interesting scenario to follow and see how many buyers and sellers are able to take advantage of uh, this new rule. Rob, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the day. Thank you. Have a great day, Rick. That's Bye-bye. Rob Golfie, sales representative. Remax is Cartman Realty, the Golfie team. You can hear more from Golfie and his team on the Golfie Real Estate Show on uh, Saturday mornings at 9. And uh, it's a lot of information that you can use if you're in the home buying and selling market. Under these new rules... Sellers who do want to share some of this information don't have to share everything. It, it, it's kind of, well, I'll, I'll say interesting, for lack of a better word, because they can share some things like financial conditions, um, disclose the prices being offers. They can also um, share agreed upon open information, i.e. other conditions. It It's going to be very intriguing to see how home sellers utilize this new option, whether they're going to utilize it at all. I have my doubts. I don't think it's going to happen to the degree that uh, provincial regulators think it will. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Hamilton Bulldogs have just wrapped up the franchise's most successful regular season. They won a team record 51 games this year. Thanks in large part to the roster moves made by President and General Manager Steve Steos. So will the Bulldogs be able to retain him beyond this season? I mean, there's got to be other teams at upper levels of hockey calling and saying, hey, Steve, you want to come over and work with us? Scott Radley wrote about this in the Hamilton Spectator. He's a columnist with the spec and, of course, host of the Scott Radley Show. Heard weeknights from 6 to 8 right here on 900 CHML. Scott, good morning. How are you? I am great, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, The Dogs were supposed to be a good team this season, Steos has molded them into a powerhouse. What do you make of how he put this team together? Well, I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways similar to the team that won a championship in 2018, that he had a good team and then went out and made a few trades that, you know, required some, um, are we allowed to say cojones at this time of the morning? I guess <laughs> sure. We and they've worked. And, and the thing that is sort of really, to me, fascinating about this team is it's not just the guys that he brought in that have worked. Almost every single player on this team has had a career year statistics-wise. Almost every single player. And beyond that, if you look at the list of the OHL plus-minus leaders, at the end of the season, nine of the top ten plus-minus leaders were Hamilton Bulldogs. So they have literally had everybody play the best hockey they've ever played over the course of a year, and it's happened all at the same time. You do that, things are generally going to go pretty well for you. This has got to be a Memorial Cup or bust kind of season. Well, they've lost. So when you said they've won 51 games, uh, just for people who don't follow closely, they don't play an NHL schedule. They play 68. So they've won 51 of 68 games this year, and they've lost only four since the calendar turned to 2022. They're 34-4, and four, I think, since the start of the year. Which means, Rick, that for them to be knocked out of the playoffs, a team is going to have to hand them as many losses in two weeks as they've had 
in the last four months almost. That gives you a sense that unless something goes horribly wrong, either injuries or every hockey team's worst nightmare, you run into a goalie who loses his mind and can't be beaten, they have a very good chance, you would think, of doing just what you said. Bulldogs kick off the OHL playoffs tomorrow night at First Ontario Centre as they host the Peterborough Peets in round one. Puck drop at the downtown rink is at seven. You can get your tickets at hamiltonbulldogs.com, ticketmaster.ca. So the question in your column in the spec, is the NHL going to come calling for Bulldogs Steve Steos? Could this potentially be his last season with the Dogs? Well, anything's possible. But And, and he did tell me that there have been teams that have been calling, but he hasn't been thinking about it. So the, the question becomes, he didn't say he wouldn't say. His answer was it would have to be the perfect scenario, but he didn't say what that perfect scenario would be or which team would be that perfect scenario. I suspect what he means is the Maple Leafs, not because of an allegiance to the team, but because of the geography and everything else. However, I could be wrong on that one, but he says if the perfect situation arises, he would be potentially interested that perfect team apparently hasn't arrived yet. Perfect situation. So the answer to your question is, if it did, it could be. If it isn't, then I suspect he wouldn't. He says he would love to stick around and has no problem staying in Hamilton and working for the Bulldogs the rest of his career. But, look, when you, the, the thing, and I know you're short on time, but the thing about the OHL to remember is, and people who follow the league know this, if you win, you almost always go into a huge swoon because you've had to load up and then it's a league that has an age limit, so you graduate a bunch of your players, and you're left with a lot of young kids, and you've given away draft picks, and it's always a wax and wane type of thing. He has turned a team that won a championship four years ago, 2018, into a team that's back in first place in the entire league. In the last decade, nobody has done that. And usually, we would be wandering around in the OHL wilderness, wilderness right now with a mediocre team. So he's, he's going to get some attention. He is, because the, the, the drafting he's done, the staffing he's assembled for scouting and coaching, the trades that he has made, despite some of them being very high risk, they've all worked out. That's going to draw attention. Absolutely, and the attention is uh, very well warranted. He's uh, had a phenomenal career in the front office here with the Bulldogs. Scott, appreciate the time. You can check out Scott Radley's article in the Hamilton Spectator at thespec.com. You can hear more from Scott weeknights as he's the host of the appropriately named Scott Radley Show, 6 to 8 here on CHML. Scott, thanks for the time. Thanks, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. People in Ontario will have a clear, a crystal clear choice to make. They can either choose to stand with Doug Ford and the Ford Conservatives and see escalating gun crime, gun violence, and gun deaths, or they can stand with Ontario Liberals and see that handgun ban delivered. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That's the voice of Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca offering up uh, a new idea. Well, not really a new idea, uh, a new slash old idea of proposing a handgun ban. Is is that going to move the needle as we draw closer to the June election uh, here in Ontario, uh, there's also some, I don't know if mudslinging is the term. We usually encounter this kind of back and forth talk between political leaders and parties in advance of an election. But opposition parties in this province accusing the Ford government of campaigning instead of governing after it canceled the daily question period next week in advance of the provincial budget, which will be delivered one week from tomorrow. 
Is this this normal politicking? Kim Wright is the principal and founder of Wright Strategies and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Campaigning instead of governing. Is this a legitimate complaint? Gasp. Politicians politicking. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, look, this is a, a charge as old as politics, frankly. There has always been these finger wagging about do you do you uh, you know have a budget that is a political document or actually around governing and this is clearly going to be a budget that is designed to drop a week before the election gets called so you know there's not exactly going to be a lot in there that will be implemented uh, it will be a lot of well if you elect us golly gee you're gonna get these things back and that's uh, that's really what the government is hoping for so yes the opposition party will figure why some listeners actually might remember uh, former Ontario Finance Minister Jim Flaherty uh, during the Harris government had a budget that he delivered outside of the legislature in the Magna building and uh, so at least this time they're going to deliver the budget in the House and not uh, and not as a campaign stop so I guess that's progress. Stephen Del Duca also saying that uh, listen next week's budget is going to be a, a conservative platform not the budget isn't that just one and the same anyways? Yeah, pretty much. So that that is what a budget right before an election is always is going to be their platform. So I don't uh, I don't take a lot of stock in in that at this point. Although there will be some things in there that I think people will say, oh, that's not so bad. Maybe I could vote for them. The question I ask myself, and certainly you know, in, in with this particular government is. You've had four years. I get there was a pandemic, but governing is choosing, and you didn't spend all your pandemic money. So what are you actually spending money on? The other thing I would say to Mr. Del Duca is you had 15 years in governing. So what would you have done differently, and why didn't you do it then? The budget's not going to be passed before the legislature rises for the start of the election campaign. Do you suspect the conservatives are going to throw a bunch of different and unique goodies in this budget? Oh, yes, absolutely. It will be a a chicken in every pot, but some austerity to keep the conservative base uh, up and up and running. Uh, They're going to have to try to, you know, there are a lot of things that they did early on in their mandate, the conservative government did. Um, They had made a lot of promises, for example, to the autism community, uh, that the first thing they did was backpedal on those on those uh, those funding and so they're going to have to try to make some amends, but as I said, they're also going to have to try to uh, woo back conservative voters uh, who felt that uh, they go, they went too far on certain things. Kim Wright is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim is the principal and founder of Wright Strategies, and we are talking about uh, well, the, the lead up to the budget and the provincial election coming up later on this spring. Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca also introducing a handgun ban as part of his platform yesterday. This seems to be, I don't know, an old conversation that's been beaten to death that I'm not sure many people are even talking about these days. No, and uh, Mr. Del Duca spoke about, you know, the this is the worst set of gun crimes that we've ever seen. Well, that's actually not true. Uh, you know, we've seen lots of lots of these uh, summer of the guns, as, as the media likes to call them. The problem is no one wants to get at some of the root problems, which are, frankly, gun, guns and gangs issues. And that is a border problem because 80% of those guns are coming from across the border from, from the U.S., um, we're not getting at some of those root causes, uh, you know, stable housing, uh, good quality jobs, 
uh, op- economic opportunities, um, all of those things, wraparound services for mental health, all of those component pieces that actually get at our guns and gangs problem, not uh, are we going to ban something? Because I can tell you, having been at a restaurant where gunmen walked in one night, they didn't really care if there was a handgun ban underway. Yeah, that says a lot, no doubt about that. Um, Just before we go, any thoughts on how the NDP has performed over the last month or so in in the lead-up to this election call? So what's been fascinating is Andrea Horvath started her campaign a couple of weeks back uh, with a mental health announcement, and it was to increase the amount of practitioners uh, that can provide mental health services, so nurse practitioners, social workers, etc., so getting more people in that pool. But also, you know, making it free, and you know, coming out of this pen, coming out of this pandemic, we know that people are suffering more and more from mental health. But also, acknowledging it more. But the wait times to get into services and the cost is so prohibitive uh, that we know that the these problems increase. So Andrea is actually talking about things that will matter to people. The other thing is uh, that uh, Ms. Horvath and the New Democrats are doing is. They have lots of lots of campaign workers, lots of campaign money, more than I've ever seen them do. Uh, and during an election campaign, her polling numbers consistently spike. Somehow the province gets collective amnesia uh, in between campaigns, but during an election, they spike, and the New Democrats are looking to capitalize it on, this, on it this time. It's going to be an interesting campaign, no doubt about that. Kim, thanks for the time, as always. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It appears that swearing in the workplace is on the rise. It's another thing that I guess we can blame on the COVID-19 pandemic. A company called Sentio has looked at a database of around 9,000 conference call transcripts looking for expletives. Imagine having that job. And they found 166 that contained curse words from 2021. Doesn't seem like a lot. You know, 9,000 conference calls were had, 166 instances in which someone used a bad word. Well, that's up from 104 transcripts that contained profanity in 2020 and 112 in 2019, which means that swearing at work was up a little more than 60% year over year in 2021. Are you noticing it in your workplace? Rebecca Callison is an HR consultancy team lead at Peninsula Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How are you? Happy Wednesday. I'm okay. Yeah, happy hump day. It sounds like everyone is obviously fed up with the pandemic and um, just let it rip at work, I guess. What do you make of this increase? I think it's actually a fantastic thing. I think it's great that people are more authentic in the workplace. Um, it, show, it speaks volumes that that's what people want. They just want to be themselves at work and they can just focus on their tasks. I mean, from an employer's perspective, if you really don't want your employees doing that, make sure you're putting that down in, in writing and giving them that in a policy. It all depends on the workplace too, right? You don't want employees you know, mm-hmm. cursing in a restaurant with kids around. Exactly. Yep. Or if they're speaking to clients, if that's not what you want your company to you know, show and reflect, or if you're on the radio or on TV. With so many people working from home over the past two years, I guess that's lent to, you know, cursing in the workplace. You're not necessarily in the workplace, even though you're doing some work. How has the, I guess, informality of remote work contributed to this, do you think? Oh, I think that plays a huge factor in this as well, because people are now working from home more. So the 
really the lines between work and home have been blurred over the past couple of years. So that, I guess that face has been coming off a bit. Have you noticed an, an increase in the workplace of people using profanity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially if you're working from home. Physically, you're still at home. Virtually, you're connecting with your colleagues. It's much more easier to you know, slip here and there. And if your manager is doing it, it's very likely that the team is going to follow suit <laughs> and uh, be swearing as well, maybe you, not offensively. Yeah. Do you think it's more tolerated in the workplace? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think people are getting written up for swearing if they're describing a situation, if they're just talking about their weekends. Um, it's, you know, it's only an issue if they're speaking about somebody. That's something that employers should be aware of if they're noticing that. Right? Rebecca Callison is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML and HR consultancy team lead at Peninsula Canada. Um, in terms of swearing in the workplace, uh, I guess people can get written up. Is it a big complaint from workers or, or employers that you deal with? It hasn't actually been an issue uh, with regards to employees swearing when they're, you know, having internal meetings. We're not getting calls about that. We do have a 24-7 advice line that employers can call in and ask, you know, how to manage their employees if they have a situation. But this isn't something that we have been seeing an increase in uh, with regards to complaints. Um, However, like I said earlier, it would definitely be a good idea for an employer to put that in writing if they do not want their employees swearing, you know, when they are in a situation, like you mentioned, in a restaurant. What are some people calling that hotline for? What are some of the, the most common complaints at work these days? Oh, that's a really good question. One is absenteeism and lateness. <laughs> so how do I actually, you know, differentiate between a sick day or a personal emergency leave day, which doesn't really exist in Ontario anymore, right? So really just navigating through employment legislation, that's the number one thing. Um, so leaves of absences, uh, I know for the past couple of years, COVID was a big thing. So can my employee come into work? Am I allowed to get them to come back into the office now that things are opening up? Vaccine policies. Uh, now with, you know, a new season, uh, can I have, you know, students on, you know, only a four-month contract? How does that work? What does that look like? Am I protected? Those are the types of questions that we've really been fielding. It seems like it's never-ending, the, the, the questions and the complaints and the what-ifs and who did what. <laughs> it's fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Rebecca Callison, HR Consultancy Team Lead at Peninsula Canada. As we reflect on uh, a new report from a company called Sentio, it uh, checked out a database of 9,000 conference call transcripts looking for profanity, bad words. And it found that 166 of these 9,000, this seems like a, a big percentage, uh, contain curse words in 2021. But again, that is up 60% compared to 2020 in which only 104 transcripts contained profanity. There was a book written, if you can believe it, about cursing, swearing, letting it rip, if you will, called In Praise of Profanity, in which the author, Michael Adams was his name, he was an English or is an English professor, said that uh, there is some positive science behind using bad words, writing, quote, they're unexpectedly uh, unexpectedly useful in fostering human relations because they carry risk. We like to get away with things, and sometimes we do so with like-minded people. So while this is not a promotion to um, go on a profanity-laden tirade at work later on today, but, you know, if you let one slip here or there, and it's not in, you know, as I mentioned before, a, a public setting in which clients 
or children are around, I, I think your coworkers might say, hey, you know, what's what's going on? What, what's happening? You might have that conversation to, I don't know, maybe unload some bad information. Or maybe you're just having a bad day or maybe you just need to, uh, you know, unload. And this is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. It will improve your mental health. You know, if you're going through a tough time or a stressful situation or, you know, things are just not adding up, whether it's on the home front or at the workplace, uh, you're multitasking and some of the balls that you're juggling are just falling onto the ground. You know, a, a bad word or a little tirade, a, a mini blow up, if you will, will be okay. Now, be mindful of when and where you do it, do it and who else is in the room and, you know, especially have that conversation. This is important. Have that conversation afterwards to say, hey, I might have been a little out of line. You know, I'll apologize. You know, I'll, I'll choose my words more carefully next time. And you might find out that your coworker or colleague will say, hey, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm in the same boat, too. I feel your pain. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is spring. I mean, we wouldn't know it <laughs> this past weekend with all the snow that we got. But, uh, yeah, weather aside, we know that things are growing. Things are looking a lot better. You know, all that snow is gone. And we get, a, you know, some rain here or there. But the grass is getting a little greener. And we're looking at our gardens thinking, what should we do this year? Well, Canadians are being urged to take part in the Plant Red movement to honor frontline workers and lives lost during the pandemic. This is a win-win situation. Here to talk about it is Michelle Gauthier, Executive Director of the Canadian Garden Council. Michelle, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Very good. Tell us about the Plant Red initiative. How does it work? Well, this is all part of the year of the garden. So 2022 is the year of the garden in Canada, celebrating the centennial of the ornamental horticultural sector. And so we are inviting people to live the garden life this year, you know, and and a lot of people are living the garden life. And, And so we wanted to, how do we get, you know, Canadians engaged with this? And so we thought, let's start with showing our pride and supporting all the frontline workers that have been there for us in the past two years. And so we decided, why not plant something red? And so, you know, there are a lot of red. And and, and these can be flowers, but <clears throat> strawberries, you know, we're thinking uh, red peppers, you know. Uh, let's think outside the box here and, and let's plant something that, you know, we are proud of and that will remind us that if it wasn't for the frontline workers, you know, maybe things would have been very different. And they supported us through the pandemic. And we'd like to say thank you uh, with this initiative. And then, so, you know, what people can do is they can go on our website, Year of the Garden, and they can register what they have planted. And we will send them a certificate to say thank you for joining this campaign and we'll even put a red dot on Canada's map. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the uh, website yearofthegarden.ca, and I'm I'm sure people can, um, you know, showcase their plants or their vegetables or or whatever red uh, they put in the ground on social media as well. Say, hey, this is what we're doing. Get involved and and let's uh, you know applaud our frontline workers. Yes, definitely. And you know, it's easy. They can put it on social media. Also, 
you know, there's a, a, a Vessi even has a, a, an, an official year of the garden red plant peony that they can go to. Uh, and, you know, some of our partners, the garden centers, I invite anyone to go to the garden center and ask them, you know, what can I plant? And what are you offering this year? What's special? You know, this is the time. And we're, we're doing it now because, as, yes, it did snow yesterday. But people's mindset right now is about, you know, the garden. What am I going to do in my garden? What am I going to plant? And now is the time to, to get to it. For those of our listening audience who maybe d- don't have a green thumb, is there an easy red flower plant that they can just put in the dirt and, and forget about it and not really have to tend to it? Uh, yeah, there, there, there are, you know, these, uh, you know, the, the annuals, which you can go and you get, and they're already grown and you can just put in your garden and, and it's easy. Or, you know, more and more people also garden in, in containers Mm -hmm. or, or in pots and, and, you know, the garden culture is changing. It's not just about the backyard. It's about inside or the balcony or or even a community garden. So, you know, it's it's an opportunity to think outside the box. And, yeah, if you don't have too much of a green thumb, you go to the garden center uh, uh, and you just buy the plant you want and you bring it home. And you might just not even have to transplant it. Keep it in the pot or keep it in the container it comes in. And, and away you go. Michel Gauthier is our guest. He's the executive director of the Canadian Garden Council. And we're talking about the plant red movement. Canadians being urged to plant something red this spring in honor of frontline workers and lives lost during the pandemic. You can get more information online at yearofthegarden.ca. You mentioned uh, living the garden life. What, what are the benefits of gardening? Well, I think it's more and more documented that gardening and gardens, you know, contribute to the, your health, mental, physical, contributes to the environment in a positive way, also contributes to quality of life uh, in a community. Gardens and gardening is an activity that's also very inclusive, okay? And so people coming together, you know, in front of a plant, in a garden, there are no differences, we're all there for the same reason, to feel and smell and, and, and enjoy the visual of plants. And so we want people to live the garden life, and it's the good life. And, uh, and, so, and we saw it during the pandemic, you know, people went to the garden because they felt good. It was the good life. And, and so we're saying, okay, let's keep this going. Let's live the garden life. And, and let's get our children engaged with this also. And, and so, yes, right through the year of the garden, we will be coming out with other calls to action to live the garden life as we roll out the, the activities for the year of the garden. Michelle, we only have about a minute to discuss this, but with food prices up, do you expect more and more people to be planting their own vegetable gardens this year? Definitely, definitely. And this is a trend. As I said, you know, we have a vibrant garden culture, but it is being transformed. And the edible garden is definitely enjoying. So, you know, people now have vegetables beside flowers and and they mix them. When you go to community gardens, you see this and, and in backyards. So, yes, 
that's all part of our garden culture. And yes, more people are planting their own vegetables. And people also are eating flowers more and more, and which is great. And so a lot of flowers are edible. And so, you know, this is the vibrant garden culture that we have. And, and we also have native plants. We have lots of beautiful native plants that people can engage with. So, you know, there's so many possibilities. So please follow us on social media or through the website, and we'll be providing information. The Year of the Garden is not a big event. It's happening in every community across the country. For information online, yearofthegarden.ca. Michelle, thanks for the time today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Live the garden life. Thank you. You too. Michelle Gauthier is the Executive Director of the Canadian Garden Council. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.